The following podcast contains explicit language. Welcome back to Working. I'm your host, Laura Bennett. This season, we're focusing on the New York comedy club and cultural institution Comedy Cellar, which was founded in 1982 and has since been the starting ground for comedians like Chris Rock and Jon Stewart and Sarah Silverman and many, many others. This week, I'm talking to Ian Fidance, a comedian who was recently passed at the cellar, which is to say he recently auditioned for SD, the booker, and was accepted into the cellar's regular rotation of comics. I was very charmed to hear what a totally thrilling life development this was for him. After talking to a bunch of people who have been in the cellar orbit for what feels like forever, I just found it fun to chat with someone who was so over the moon and wide-eyed about what it meant to enter the world of the comedy cellar for the first time. What's your name and what do you do? Hi, my name is Ian Fidance and I'm a stand-up comic. You are a stand-up comic. So That's I right. have been told that you were very recently passed at the Comedy Cellar. Yes. Meaning passed in the comedy in the world. Comedy Parlance, lore. yes. Mm-hmm. Means, you know, you've been accepted into the esteemed crew of Cellar Regulars. So tell me what that was like and how recently did that happen? Oh, my goodness. Well, it happened June 16th, 2018. Uh, <laughs> that was my audition, a day that will live in infamy. And uh, yeah, I, I had my audition, my showcase, and it's... Friday night at like 11 o'clock. Esty comes down and watches you and you have five minutes and everyone tells you do not go over the light. Cut your set at five minutes. Whatever you do, do not go over the light. You know, so you're doing your set and you're kind of looking at the light. It was pretty surreal. You know, I had to follow Michelle Wolf, who is just a monster. You know, everyone just loves her and she's so good. And uh, I got off and, and a couple of my friends comics were, were watching and they like hugged me. They're like, oh my God, they loved you. I'm like, yeah, but did Esty? You know? <laughs> <laughs> so that that's amazing. So back up a little bit. How mm-hmm. did you get that audition? What was the pro- the road to that audition? Like? Yeah, I'm really fortunate. Uh, a lot of people have, have kind of taken me under their wing and been very kind to me. Bobby Kelly uh, has been a great friend in person that's really kind of been there for me. And so I've been, you know, buds with him for a bit. And then um, I've been friends with Nikki Glazer for a while. And, uh, you know, I'd been working with her a bit. And Gnome, the owner of the cellar, has a podcast live at the table. His producer reached out to me, asked me to do the podcast. And I went on. It was really fun. Had a good time. And we that was out. before you'd ever auditioned? Right, right. Yeah. You know, I, I had done podcasts at the cellar and, you know, my friends worked there. So I would go and kind of, you know, I'd never go to the table. But, you know, they'd invite me and it felt like Field of Dreams, like when you cross that line. Wait, you so know? they would invite you to the table and you'd say no? Well, initially I'd say no. And then, you know, one time I sat at the table and uh, and someone was like, don't be nervous. You're welcome. You know, I was like, oh, my God. You know? Who was at the comedian's table when you were there? Man, the the first time it was uh it was Nikki, Carmen Lynch, Ryan Hamilton, I think Matteo Lane. They were very kind to me, but I, I was very trepidatious about going back there. You know, that's the thing. You you never go back to the table unless, you know, you work there. So I, I did that and I didn't go back for a while. I was like, I don't want to push my luck, you know. <laughs> I remember I talked to Bobby about going to the cellar, getting in, and uh he's like, What do you think about, you know, auditioning? I was like, I don't think I'm ready. Why didn't you think you were ready? Because I didn't feel strong enough. I still felt nervous. I knew that I hadn't had that kind of confidence that I needed. You know, I wasn't completely sure of myself or my act at the time. And I didn't want to be seen before I was ready. I was like, I got to 
get stronger. I got to get better. And I don't want to, you know, be seen, not get in and then have to never go back for a couple of years. And uh, he was really cool about it. He's like, yeah, that's that's great. Talk to me when when you're ready. And then um, I ran into Noam at Sirius. Nikki was like, Noam, do you know Ian? And he goes, yeah, you know, he's on my podcast. He was great, really funny. And she was like, I'd love to recommend him. And he goes, send me a tape. And I was like, okay, cool. I have to act like this is normal. I'm going to go shit my pants in the bathroom. (laughs) Did you have a tape ready? Uh, No, I scrambled for a tape. I had to, you know, hit up all these people. And then they're, well, I can't really. We got to find it. And I'm like, you got to find it. This is the most important moment of my life. So I finally got the tape and I sent it to him and he never responded back. So I was like, oh, God. And then I, I went in one night and had dinner and I was sitting hanging out with them. And You're just at the Olive Tree Cafe? Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. But not at the table? Not at the table. No, no I was table adjacent. You yeah. know? And so, uh, you know, we were just talking and I was like, hey, man, did you get a chance to look at that tape? And he was like, no, I, I didn't. Did you send it? I go, yeah. And he goes, OK, I'll, I'll put a reminder. I was like, all right. So then um, like five days later, I got an email from Messi that said, hi, I, I loved your tape. I'd love for you to come in and showcase for me. Talk to me about where you were when you got that email from Misty. Okay. I was uh, at Mountain Province, a coffee shop in my neighborhood. I was (laughs) sitting two tables away from the register. Uh, This email came in. I was writing... And I could not believe it, you know. Did you stand up in the middle of the coffee shop? Oh, absolutely. I I stood up. I started pacing. I'm like grabbing my hair like, oh, my God, is this real? Refreshing my email to be like, is this real? Is this the right address? You know? And um, I... You know, email back was like, you know, I'd be honored. That'd be great. I'll see you this Friday. You're like, I'll check my calendar and yeah, I'll yeah, see, yeah. get back to yeah, you. Yeah, I was like, you know, Friday is not good. How about, you know, Monday? <laughs> yeah. uh, did you I, in that moment know exactly what your set would be or did you? Yeah. Why? Well, I, I just showcased for JFL right. and um, that set went well, uh, not well enough to get it, which is totally fine. And um, I just did basically that set and edited some and I, I ran a little bit. And then the night before my um, showcase, I didn't even do the set. I just went up and had fun for me and just fooled around on stage to get comfortable. Did and, you uh, practice, by the way, like for friends? No. I mean, in the past for showcases, I've held my roommates hostage <laughs> in front of like one roommate that's from San Francisco. She's lived in the apartment for a month. And I'm like, look, I just got to get this out, you know. And, uh, yeah. <laughs> but she has no other choice to be like, that's good. Yeah, and and I had actually called Bobby and was like, you know, I think I'm ready. And he goes, you think or are you? Because it's not up to me. It's up to you. You're either ready, you're confident, you're ready to kick ass, or you're not. And I was like, I'm fucking ready to kick ass. (laughs) He's like, all right, good. You know, so I went that Friday and, you know, Nikki was there and her mom and sister. They were kind of like my cheerleaders, my support team. You know, I'm trying to play it cool. You know, I'm calling my mom chain smoking in the street. And uh, what did your mom say? Does she have good pump up words? I mean, my mom, I love her so much. She's the best. But, you know, she doesn't really know the, the comedy world, but she's super supportive. You know, she goes, I looked up that comedy seller <laughs> and they charge with a two drink minimum. This is really something, Ian. And I'm like, oh, I love you, mom. Oh, you that's know? cute. Yeah, so I'm I'm kind of on Minetta Lane, you know, with my headphones in, dancing to music just to relax, you know. So I, I go in and, and I go down and, you know, I have to follow Michelle and I do my set. And it was like this this crazy thing. I'd, I'd never been on that stage before and I just felt very at home and at ease. And everything just flowed really well and I felt really good, you know. What do you think about that room made you feel at ease? I mean, that room 
that's just such a special place for comedians. And that is something that I, I've always, you know, had in the back of my mind. When I was younger, I, I've been in the city since 2003. Me and my friends used to go and watch shows at the Comedy Cellar, you know. It was just such a pipe dream. And the comics that have come out of that club are, are just bulletproof. You know, they're just so good. And to be on that stage and to, you know, I, I had an ex-girlfriend that was long distance and we went to a show at the Cellar and we're sitting up in the olive tree and... You know, she wanted me to move back to like Philly and was like, you know, you could commute and, you know, we could have a life, you know. And I'm like, look, I'm going to be working here. I'm going to be all over and you can be next to me in the car when we're going down that road or I can drop you off and I'll find someone else or I'll be alone. But either way, is that how you phrased it, I'm working here. Yeah. And, and she you was know, like, thank you for your kind offer. Yeah. Well, I was like, you know, you got to not cry while we're here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Some people are looking, you know, but uh, it was just so, so wild. And and I don't know, something was just so calming. And I, I've been in therapy for a while. This really helped me to be present. You know, I'm practicing my breathing, like Dr. Jen said, you know, I, I don't know. I, I just got up there and I, I felt it was very weird. I had thought that I was going to be a nervous wreck, but I just felt very at ease. And and then my very first set there after I was passed, you know, I was dry heaving in the bathroom, like, oh, my God. So was, was that set that you did to audition the same set that you're doing now? No, I, I changed my act around. The jokes I'm, I was doing six months ago, I try not to do now. Or if I do them, I, I change them. So you know. what was the material of your first set? I mean, from the audition, do you remember? I mean, it was very much like an introduction to who I am. It was very much... Uh, the way I see things and, and you know. Uh, Who are you? What's the way you see things? Well, you know, I somebody just, <laughs> I posted a picture of like me, my mom and my dad and uh, Bonnie McFarlane, who I love so much, goes, you know, I always pictured you as an alien. And it's surprising, you know, that you have real life parents. <laughs> I, I talked about, you know, being an alcoholic and uh, being, um you know, like a, a bisexual guy and how that's like very strange, like people you know, that's kind of like off-putting in this like wildly accepting world. And um, my last joke, I, I forget what I did. And I don't know, but it but it worked. Well, I wish we could hear it right now. Well, you know, I'm not going to I'm not going to give you my <laughs> you act right now. It right will no, not be funny at all. I've <laughs> learned that the hard way. You know. <laughs> all right. So you finish and you could tell the room was into it. Yeah. Yeah. It was great. And I, I walked out in the hallway and I, I got a hug from a couple of the comics. They're like, man, it sounded like they loved you. And again, I was like, well, I fucking know best he did, you know. And uh, I looked over and I saw her and she was like smiling. I was she like, was oh my smiling. God, oh my God. Yeah. And that where just, was like, she like leaning on a wall in the back? She was in the corner by one of the exit doors kind of in the dark. But I could just see this like silhouette and you know she she stands out this heavenly you know kind of like halo around her and and so i was like oh my god okay so i went upstairs and and then you're like what the fuck do you do what do you do Do you sit at the table no <laughs> you, you fucking go outside you chain smoke and then you go inside and you ask someone do i leave what the fuck do i do yeah. so you know again i'm gonna use that word a lot but i'm very fortunate a lot of people were kind of like pulling for me and very like kind to me you know did you start asking like has anyone heard what Essie thought were no you- i didn't ask anyone you know nikki and and her mother and sister came up and they were like we were saying next half scene she was loving she was laughing i was like all right well fucking have her say that jesus christ you know so i'm like on top of the world but also i have that fear of like her being like that was nice (laughs) that's it you know (laughs) that was good enough for me and i'm like oh god so she comes up and i go you know i'm so thankful for for showcasing for you and she goes thank you so much i loved it you and me will be emailing i'm like Okay. <laughs> and so then I like awkwardly sit at the table and everyone is just gossip girls like, what'd she say? And I go, well, she said we'll be emailing. And Rich Foss was there who is such a 
loving ball buster, you know, and half of them are like, oh, my God, you're in. And then like two or three are like, well, that's not what she said to me. And I'm like, <laughs> what do you mean? And they're like, she told me yes. She told me this. And I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, it's so like in the air. It's so androgynous about what it is, you know, and uh Voss looks at me and goes, congrats. And I'm like, on what? She told me to email her. He goes, well, she either wants you to work her club or she wants to take you on a date. Fucking take the win, you insecure prick. And I was like, all right. He goes, you're in. I'm like, okay. So then I, I go up to Liz, who is is a complete angel woman. And, and I go, she goes, what'd she say? I go, she said that we're going to be emailing. She goes, you're in. I'm like, I'm in. Oh what the God. fuck? <laughs> so then, uh, so she goes, you know, you email. She told me to set it in my calendar, when to email, what to say, whatever. Wait, so there was a special date? You were supposed to wait? Like, it's just like a dating window? Oh, you yeah. Email too soon? Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, she told me, you know, email the next day at a certain time. You never email past this. Or that. And other people have heard different things. Wow. You know, other people are like, well, I email on Sunday. I, I believe then. Liz. You she know. seems like a credible yes, source. Yes, I go home and the next day I, I call Bobby and I told him, he goes, well, you're in. And I go, oh my God. And, uh, you know, I start crying and he's like, we had a meeting and it's all good. You, you know, you're going to be great. Just don't fuck up. And I'm like, all right. So then I call my mom and I'm, I, I got lost in my own neighborhood. I was on the phone with her and I'm pacing, circling around so much. I just, I, I'm like, where the fuck am I? You know, and it was just so crazy. And uh, it just, you know, really meant a lot. And then I, I started um, getting sets. And um, Wait, so you, you emailed her? What did the yes, 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 yes. <laughs> yeah, we, we went back and forth about, like, you know, a, a headshot and the bio and, and you know, like, avails for the next week. All right, and so as soon as you email, it's quite clear that... Uh... Yeah. This is happening. It's yeah. Not like yeah. But it's still, you know, like, where's the mistake? <laughs> you know, something is off. And then I get my first set and, and uh, it was so sweet. You know, my friends that I went to college with came to watch the first set because we used to go there when we were younger. So it was just so nice. And I could see them and, you know, I'm, I'm doing my set and a mustache hair went in my mouth. And I'm like, am I going to? choke and die up here on my first set of the cellar. I'm like, what mustache the fuck? Hair. I mean, yeah, I, you know, grooming was, you know, I've I've cleaned up a lot since then. But uh, yeah, I, I was just like, what the fuck? Is this, a, you know, you're, you're telling your jokes and in your head you have this other monologue going. You know, the set was fine. It wasn't my Wasn't best. as good as the first time? No, not at all. And and I can be honest about that. You know, it, it was rough. It was scary. It was rough. You know, it was at the Village Underground. It's like over 200 people, you know, it's just like very intimidating. You have to follow Mateo Lane, who's a complete beast, you know, and then it's just like, holy shit. But once you're past, she can't unpass you, can she? I mean, I guess yeah, she, she could can. theoretically. She totally yeah. can. Yeah. yeah. But would can she after totally one get on pass? <laughs> well, you, you never know. That's the fear. That's what fucks with your uh, head. You know, it's a man. total psychological mindfuck. And, uh, you know, Bobby said to me one time, he goes, Nikki Glazer got you in here and she's not going to keep you here. And I was like, oh, holy shit. But that's the beauty of that place. It's made me step up to be such a better comic, you know, because I got to follow these, you know, absolute powerhouse comedians. I got to follow Jessica Kirsten. I got to follow Yamanika, Mateo, you know, Dave Attell, Jesus Christ, the Mount Rushmore comedy. And you want to do well, you know, and it, it really forces you to step up and, and work harder because you're going to get lost if you don't. Are there legendary stories circulating of comics who got passed, celebrated, did a set, and then got unpassed? I don't know. And if there are, that's not really my story to tell. You know, I, <laughs> I, I, I don't like ever want to put really, that out there. You know, I have really heard traumatic. a couple things. But, you know, yeah. I, I all I can do is focus on myself. Yep. I, I don't want to hear about anyone else. I don't want to think about Gotta I don't want to spread a rumor. On. I don't want to get into someone else's business. I show up to work. I do my job. And then I fucking try to stay in my lane. You know what I mean? Yep. Anything else is going to fuck my head up. 
up and I'm already fucked up enough. You know, <laughs> I, I don't want to add anything to the pot. I got enough stuff stirring around. <laughs> that you makes know? sense to me. Yeah. What do you, you tell know. a friend who doesn't get past? You say, try again. I mean, it's a thing of like, let it light a fire under your ass. Any no, you can swing it to being a good thing because I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to accept no for an answer in the world of comedy and entertainment. If you don't let me in this door, I'm going to kick another one down, you know? And I think if you get rejected, it's really fucking tough. It really hurts because it's hard not to take it personal and it's hard not to feel as if you are not as good as. But um, I got a buddy who didn't get passed and it lit such a fucking fire under his ass. He's a fucking killer every time he's on stage. And he uses that as fuel for fucking making every other chance on stage a reason to be like, see? Has he gone back out. to audition at the cellar again? I don't believe so, no. Would you, know? you have gone back if you didn't get past the first time? I don't want to think about that. Don't, don't think about you it. Know, I mean, I, I know I know a Greyhound it. ticket to Delaware costs 22 bucks. <laughs> you know, I, I know I can always be a carpenter again. <laughs> <laughs> I know I got a spot at old Gail's house. I could have just fucking <laughs> moved back, you know? But I try not to think about that. <laughs> What's the best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day in everyday situations. But if that's not on the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. I've used apps in the past to learn new languages, but when I came across Babbel, I wondered if it could help me refresh my knowledge of a language I once spoke well, but was now a little bit or quite a lot rusty. I have to say, I was impressed. The advanced lessons were really useful, tips and idioms that can help with in-depth conversations on topics that I can actually imagine chatting about. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel is designed by real people for real conversations, and the tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. What's more, all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Here's a special limited-time deal for working listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription, but only for working listeners, at babbel.com working. Get up to 60% off at babbel.com working, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com working. Rules and restrictions may apply. So I want to go back a little bit to the beginning, how you got into this whole racket. Oh, boy. Comedy? Yeah. Woo! Uh, so we went to college, and your friends were all into comedy? No, I mean, I definitely dragged them out. You know, <laughs> I was definitely like, this so is what we're doing tonight. They were I, not aspiring comics also. No, no. But, you know, I, I didn't drink at the time, so it was like a sober activity to do. You know, but then, boy, did I end up drinking. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I started comedy. I was I was living in a halfway house in Wilmington, Delaware. Really? Oh yeah, yeah. I uh, really tore it down, you know. And uh, there was this this feeling of like, you know what, dude? I was in such a bad place. I was like, you know what? Give it a shot. Go up to Philly, do an open mic. If it doesn't work out, you know where the Home Depot is. You know how much a rope costs. If I can go and do that, you know. <laughs> so it was like this thing of uh, just give it a shot. 
you know, and uh, I went up, I, I, a buddy of mine, we went up together, we did this open mic, it went okay, and then we got asked to do another one that night, we did, and then I started leaving work early, going up to Philly every night, and I'll never forget the first time I was in the car with a friend, and I'm going, here's here's what I'm going to say, here's what I'm going to do, you know, and I, I, I say my thing, and he goes, yeah, I wouldn't really say that, <laughs> like, oh, God, <laughs> you know. <laughs> so were you always into comedy when you were growing up? Oh, Yeah. Absolutely. When I was younger, the only way I could get out of trouble is by making my dad laugh. You know, I always had humor and, and uh, a lot of bad shit happened when I was younger. My, my dad died when I was younger and, and uh, definitely laughter and funny movies and, and anything to distract from the reality of what was going on really helped out a lot, you know. And I'll never forget, this is so wild. I It was like a, a month or two after my dad died. I'm eight years old and we had like some friends over and they're like, you know, you're just so funny. You should be a stand-up comedian. Why don't you get up and do a little set for us? The very first thing I said, so my dad died two months ago and now my grandpa's raising me. He talks a little something like this. I just like <laughs> imitated my grandfather, you know? And uh, and, and my family, my, everyone was like, don't say that. Don't talk about that. You know, but I immediately went to like the dark side of things. But uh, yeah, I, I, I started doing um, open mics in Philly, and uh, that that was really great. And then I what got did you study, by the way, when you were in school? Did you English education? Got it. Yeah. So, so you thought about being a teacher? A oh, you yeah. were a teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Is that at all like doing stand up comedy? I mean, yeah, except you're bombing every day. <laughs> you know? <laughs> and I've definitely had more hecklers in the classroom than I had in audiences. And those hurt more because they're kids and you can't fire back. Like, what's an example? I mean, I, I was teaching in the South Bronx at 11 year old uh, immediately goes, Mr. Your haircut looks stupid. And I had to be like, OK, <laughs> turn to page 11, you know. Yeah. yeah. How do you recover from that? You don't. You, you take <laughs> yeah. it out on people later. <laughs> I, I noticed at the time when I was doing stand up at night, I was uh-huh. very quick to anger. And like someone would talk and be like, shut the fuck up. And everyone's like, dude, what's your deal? Yeah. You know? kill, kills the vibe. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I'm getting abused by a 12 year old, <laughs> you know. Wait, so what's the worst audience member you've gotten oh my god it's usually you know drunk women that uh you know respond and think the set is completely you're talking specifically to them you deal with the audience member hecklers differently than you deal with student hecklers right well i've i've learned a lot that you know when someone like talks to you or whatever you always repeat what they say into the microphone so that the crowd that didn't hear it can then be on your side oh, that's so they very so they know what is going on? Because if you immediately attack someone, they're like, right. oh, this guy's a fucking asshole. Yeah, 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 you know? yeah. I've also learned huh. to fight it with kindness and love, you know, or like thank them for being there and just being like, you know, um, I'm glad you're here and you're having fun, but everyone else is here to, to have a good time. So you're ruining their fun. Tell me about the first time you ever went to the cellar. Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I used to watch Tough Crowd when I was younger with Colin Quinn, you know, and um. I used to listen to Dave Attell's records when I was working construction. And when I'd like show up later, get in trouble, I'd be like, well, let's put this on. And we'd all laugh and it would be like a distraction, you know. So I remember uh, I was like 18. I went to the cellar with some friends and we sat and, and um, just watched comics. What did you heard about the cellar before you went for the first time? Just that it was like the place to be. That's where like all the comics come from that's where my favorite comics worked you know it was like this mythical place that you go you perform then you sit at the table and you hang out you know and so you uh, knew about the table as an 18 year old i did yeah Yeah. but i didn't know the mythology of it i just had heard about it and uh so i went there and and um i hung out and really enjoyed it and uh it kind of stayed with me and that's you know the more you get into comedy the more you hear about these clubs and you know the comedy store in la and the cellar in new york you know do you remember who was performing that night 
Oh, man. Uh, I believe it was Keith Robinson, Nick DiPaolo, Bobby Kelly, wow. Jim Norton. Do you um, remember? And I remember I was in the hallway and I saw Bobby Kelly and I go, hey, good luck, man. He goes, all right, thanks, bud. <laughs> and then he just went up. And there's a joke he told that me and my roommates still repeat to each other. You know, What is it? It's uh, He came out, he goes, you ever have those big dick, little dick days <laughs> where one day you just have a little dick? You're like, mom, what's going on? And we would just like laugh and repeat that to each other, you know? And I remember like looking at the pictures, like, are we going to see Dave Chappelle, you know? And I remember I saw a talent that was like huge. You know, I got to see him at the cellar. Who were your favorite comics when you were growing up? Oh, my God. You know, I really loved Bill Hicks when I was younger. I really liked the band Tool. And uh, he played a part in their lyrics and they really liked him a lot. And so I got into him through them. And um, I really loved Paula Poundstone. My first comedy tapes, my mom got at Sears. It was uh, Tim Allen, Drew Carey, and Paula Poundstone. <laughs> and, and I also really loved Ellen DeGeneres. She had this joke about lip syncing the wrong lyrics and just saying like Vaseline over and over. I just remember that. It was like the funniest thing in the world. So yeah, I, I really loved Ellen, Paula Poundstone, Tim Allen, and Drew Carey. <laughs> That's the pantheon right there. Uh, yeah, but when I got older, you know, I, I loved um, Bill Hicks, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, David Tell. Patton Oswalt is one of my favorites. So since getting past at the cellar, have you had the chance to share a stage with any of these people? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm really lucky. I MC at the cellar a lot. So I'm there a lot. You know, I brought Colin Quinn on stage, which was, you know, just like so I've seen his one man shows in person so many times to bring him on stage was amazing. The other night, Sherrod Small, I had to bring him on stage. And when I was 18, I was in the crowd and he looked at me and goes, look at this fucking Muppet. <laughs> and so I <laughs> when I brought him on stage, I told that story. I was like, you know, it's just such an honor to to be able to bring you on stage and tell everyone that you stink. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that like blew up. It was great. It's pretty wild. David Tell, he actually brings me on stage with him and we kind of have like a thing where we, you know, talk to each other in the crowd and that's just completely surreal. You know, he just brought me on the road this past weekend. He's had me open for him a couple of times and to be like friends with him and have him dig my comedy is just like, next level mind-blowing i look at myself in the mirror i'm like dude this is your fucking life are you kidding me this is your life you know it's, are it's you great. working as a comic full-time right now or are you doing other stuff on the side i am yeah i i've had a million jobs to make mm -hmm. it work i kind of resigned myself a while ago to be like look you're gonna have a mismatch of uh jobs over and over just to kind of make this thing work and i'm i really try to stay in gratitude a lot because uh you know, with a life I lived, I should be dead like five times over. And I'm not. I'm here, which is amazing. And, you know, I try to work as hard as I can and be grateful that uh, I'm in a position right now where I've been for the last, you know, year, year and a half of um, living in slight abject poverty to be a comic <laughs> an actor full time. And it's uh, it's going really well. And as long as I compare myself to where I was a year ago, six months ago, two years ago, and I can see the progress that way, I feel much better. Because if I compare myself to other people, I'm going to go insane. Do you perform at other clubs along with The Cellar now? I do, yeah. I'm really fortunate. The other clubs in the city have been really good to me, too. Stand Up New York, New York Comedy Club. I love The Stand. You know, you put your avails in, and, and sometimes you're hot, and they love you, and you work there a lot, and other times you don't get booked for two weeks. And you're like, well, I guess I can, you know, take up HVAC repair, you know? <laughs> One night, a couple of weeks ago, I bombed at this bar show so bad, I on the way home, I was looking up 
the civil service exam for sanitation workers. You know, I, I used to fix printers in the city, which was like amazing. That was so great. I, I'd fix like, you know, 15 printers and, you know, you make your money each printer, these Pitney Bowes machines. And uh, it was so funny. I go to these like multi-million dollar companies with like brain trusts and all these think tanks. And you'd be like, wait, our printer doesn't work. You got to fix it. We don't know what to do. And I go and I'd be like, well, you know, it's unplugged. So uh, pay me. Do you have any comedy bits <laughs> unplugged? Do you have any comedy bits about fixing printers? Oh, yeah. I mean, I mine my life for my material. A lot of my materials autobiographical. You know, I'm, I'm very self-absorbed. I have a hard time thinking about anyone else but myself i wish i could be a guy that's like you know uh you know microphones are a real crazy thing they magnify but really what do you say you know but i can't and so i just kind of use my own life and how i see things the other comics out there had to kind of define the ian finance sensibility uh-huh. what would they say oh my god i don't know you don't have to ask them i guess well, I'm uh, asking you, what are your <laughs> great themes as a comic I really try to spread a message of light and love. And I know the world's a real fucked up place right now. But um, somebody said I go to a happy, dark place where I can talk about very dark, depressing, awful things. But I kind of do it with a smile. I've really learned it's not really what you say, it's how you say it. So, you know, if I talk about, you know, a dark period in my life, I can get away with some things if I say it with a smile or like a certain sing-songy way to it, you know. I feel really good. I feel like not many people could do my material because I can get away with the way I do it. And it's, I've worked really hard to kind of find that in myself and I'm still evolving and everything. And I guess people could say I'm, I'm kind of like a wild, happy man. <laughs> from, uh, from the clips of your stuff that I've watched, which I've enjoyed very much. Oh, thank you. You seem to be quite a pro at audience interaction at yeah. like teeing up people in the audience to be part of your set. Mm-hmm. How do you do that? What are your sort of strategies? I don't know, just practice and reps and taking risks. I always try to take a risk. I always have a goal not so much to like word a joke a certain way, but to take a certain angle or like take a risk with it. You know, I try to make my set very conversational. I want to be the guy that is um, at your house entertaining you and making you feel like everything you've ever felt weird about is okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good ambition. Yeah, yeah. Do you have a favorite joke in your arsenal right now? In my arsenal? Yeah. Oh boy, I do. There's a joke I've been working on and I'm really, really lucky to have people. I, I don't want to surround myself with people that just gas me up and they're like, oh, you're great. You know, I want to hear that I suck. I want to hear that something's not working. I want to, you know, I came up in Philly and all my friends, you know, they're great comics are real big ball busters and they won't let you get away with shit, you know? And uh, a buddy of mine, one time I, I bombed on stage and my, my buddy Shane Gillis, who's really funny, he goes, uh, how do you think that went up there? <laughs> That was and, the first uh, thing you heard when you got on the stage. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. A- after just ha- like just bomb sweats, armpit out, you know, forehead gleaming with sweat, you know, just no one digging anything I'm saying. And it's good because it makes you go back and be like, fuck, I gotta get better, you know. And um, I had a friend who heard a, a joke I was doing and he goes, what the fuck are you thinking? That sucks. And I'm like, yeah, but it gets laughs. He's like, but they're not good. And so I got pissed. And was like, fuck you. And then I went home and was like, he's right. <laughs> and so I rewrote it. And then now when I do this little joke, it gets a big pop. And I'm grateful for that. So what was the joke before you rewrote it? Uh, I don't even want to say. <laughs> it's it was too so bad. Good, you yeah. don't want to get well, bomb sweats I, I, right my, now? Yeah, yeah, right. I know. Uh, you gotta, <laughs> Do you have an AC? I'm sweating. Um, my friend Hannah, actually, I ran a joke by her that i uh, working on right now that I really like. It's uh, it's about pronouns, about how um, I love pronoun usage. And if you want to be called whatever you want, I'll do it. I'm like, I love you, baby. It's all right. You know, you want to be they, them. You're fucking they, them. Let's do it, you know. 
And the way I was phrasing it before was that I feel like the younger generation is cool with pronouns, but the older generation isn't because they're a generation of step parents. They're jealous of a generation of people finally being called what they identify as. It just wasn't clicking. It wasn't like getting laughs. And she was like, well, you got to make it about yourself. How's that relate to you? And I was like, oh, fuck, I had a stepdad. And he, no matter how, how hard he tried, he would never be my father. So now when I do the joke, I'm like, I love pronouns because I know what it's like to hurt someone when you don't call them the proper thing because I grew up with a stepdad. And it was really tough because he would be like, you know, I know I'm your stepdad, but I identify as your father. And then I would be like, shut up. You'll never be a real dad. Shut up, Jim. <laughs> you know? And that's like hurtful. So I go out of my way to accommodate people. They want to be called a certain thing because I don't want to hurt them, you know? Uh, and that just, gym. that yeah, that little twist of like make it about yourself. And it goes back to truth has really been working. And I did it the other night at this like stuffy, you know, Lower East Side show. And uh, they loved it. It was great. It felt really good, you know, because that's also kind of like a very touchy topic. And uh, it just felt really good to kind of have that click. And the seller has this thing called New Jokes that Will Sylvince, who you interviewed, does on uh, Monday and Thursday nights. And, and um, sometimes when he's out of town, I host it and I love it. It's really fun. But that's a great place for us to go up and just throw shit on the wall and see what sticks. Because the only way to get better is by failing. You got to bomb. You got to try shit out. I have to eat shit in order to figure out what I did wrong to make it better. What do you like better? MCing or doing regular set? I don't know, man. It's funny. Like I love doing regular sets anywhere I go. And like stretching out, like being on the road and everything. Like I'll headline one nighters. I'm I'm working my way into like headlining like kind of B rooms and everything. But what's a B room? A B room is like a club that's not as popular as like an A room. Like an A room's like Helium Comedy Club, you know, Punchline San Francisco. A B room is like a uh, back of a room at a casino. What's a cellar? I that's like the A plus A plus fucking room, you know, <laughs> the A plus USDA choice prime beef, you know. And uh, you know, I headline these hamburger joints, but you know, I'm fortunate enough to do the prime rib at the cellar. <laughs> I, I love doing regular sets, obviously, but hosting is such a special muscle that it helps me I gotta be so quick dealing with people in the audience and no matter who's on stage, I have to reset the room. You know, if someone crushes I have to kind of take a little time to settle the room and everything. If somebody bombs, I got to bring the room back up. It's like real fucking work. And you time everyone. You got to run the show on time. Things get fucked up. But uh, it's really helped me out a ton and made me such a better comic. So now that you've performed at all these different clubs, how is the seller? What sets it apart? The seller is a real family vibe. Like before you're in there, you kind of get iced out a bit, you know, like uh People are nice, obviously, but, you know, you don't get really the time of day. And I think that's good because it makes you earn it eventually, you know. You can go and hang out, but there's like a certain line you like don't cross in the back, you know. A lot of my friends started working there and I would go and hang with them. And that made me feel more comfortable sitting around and just being. But the cellar has a really, really big family vibe. And like the staff, everyone knows your name. Everyone is kind. I become like really close with the staff. You know, when I show up, sometimes I'll have, you know, I don't drink. So they'll have a Pellegrino waiting with my name on a napkin, which is like so fun. You know, it like makes going to work fun. When you think back to the euphoria of that first email from SD mm -hmm. and the doors that the seller would open for you and imagining that path, has it all delivered? Oh, tenfold. How so? It's a completely magical place. You know, like I, I've gotten so much work from just being a seller comic. I feel like everyone that works there is really good at what they do, you know, and it has such a prestige with it. And and I know 
I have so much further to go. You know, I'm not there yet. I never want to feel like, oh, I'm, I made it, you know? And uh, I always want to be working harder and getting better. And that place really inspires me. I mean, I, the friendships I've I've had because of the seller opportunities where I've opened for people. You know, I told you off air, I, I opened for Judah Freelander and um, a woman contacted him and saw my name opening for him. And she goes, hey, can you get me in touch with Ian? I, I want to bring him to Europe. I heard him on his podcast. And I'm like, what the fuck? Did you go to <laughs> what Europe? Is this? No, she put a tour together for me. I'm touring Europe in the oh fall. Oh my God, it's amazing. Yeah, it's crazy. That's and and really Judah, wild. you know, Judah vouched for me. She brought out Todd Berry and he had good things to say. It's just like, I, I, the life I live is just so fucking crazy. Does your you mom know? get it yet? Oh yeah. I mean, and I call and share it with her and um, she's, you know, so excited and I share things with her. Like when, when I used to teach, I used to call her leaving the school stairs and I'd be like, you know, today was a good day or, you know, a kid threw a thing at me and I'd be like, you know, crying. And then now I call her, I'm like, you'll never guess, you know, and she doesn't know who the people are, but she's like, that's just so wonderful, Ian, <laughs> you know? And uh, like I said, I've David Tell started to take me out and I actually met my girlfriend outside the cellar. I was talking to Attell outside. Uh, it was a new joke night. I went up and, you know, performed. And then he brought me on stage with him and we like, like bantered back and forth and afterwards we're like smoking cigarettes outside the cellar and this kid came up and was like uh hey you know i uh, i've always wanted to be a comic and uh we're like okay see you later we kind of like turn our backs and we're like, what the fuck? And then this girl comes up and she goes nick nick stop bothering them i i, I they want to be left alone hey you guys are great i see you later and i go oh wait I, you said you wanted to be a comic <laughs> well let me tell you all about it kiddo you know was it her brother it, it was her brother yeah, yeah yeah so then i was like you know what i'm gonna take a shot i'm confident i'm a seller comic why not you know <laughs> so i wrote my number on a piece of paper i was like hey i dig you if you want you should give me a call and i gave her my number and she uh hit me up and it was the end of July and wow. now um, she's my little honeycomb. She's <laughs> your little honeycomb. I feel like it's a good spot to be in standing next to David Tell casually outside the cell. I know, it's a right? Good, uh, good yeah, position. like what is my fucking yeah. life, you know? Wait, had they, did they hear you that night? I mean, did they? They did, yeah. Oh, so yeah. you're like a and celebrity I was on sta- in And I was on stage, I was talking about loving ska and eating pussy yeah. and uh, she We're, was like, those worked. are my two favorite things. Oh, so I was perfect. like, this, this is great. You know, yeah, 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 right? I know. <laughs> in your dreams, where would mm-hmm. you be, say, 10 years from now? I gotta be honest i try not to think anything ahead of like my next two months avails because if i start to play for the future i don't know what's going to happen you know in terms of like uh you know i i mean my my god bless her my girlfriend she was like you know for halloween we should i should be liddy and you should be beetlejuice i'm like lady i can't plan that far ahead what what am i gonna do be like hey Essie, i can't perform tonight i gotta be beetlejuice <laughs> you know what i mean like come on so i try not to plan ahead and you know, the other day I was riding my bike to this, I, I was, you know, shooting this commercial and I'm, I'm, it was in Brooklyn. I'm riding my bike in the morning. I'm listening to music. I'm like, what the fuck more do I want? This is great. I would ultimately love to, you know, have a show where I get to tell the story of my life and, you know, write and star in it and, and uh, use that as a way to have people come out and see me on the road to kind of spread this crazy message of uh, love and weird acceptance. What is your relationship like with Esty now? You know, I was so nervous to be around her for a while. Rightfully so. I, I don't ever want to step on anyone's toes or feel like I'm, you know, an annoyance or anything. It was very much like deference, like, hello. And I still, you know, feel that way. But at a certain point, she kind of, she like gave me a hug and a kiss one time. And I was like, what the fuck? Holy shit. You know, and, and uh, she. What prompted that? I, I don't know. I don't know. And and she ended up telling me that she likes having me around because I'm, you know, positive and, and everything. And the other day she was kind of saying 
really nice things about me at the table in front of people. I was like, oh my God. And she's an incredibly interesting woman. And so is Noam. So she is the, fascinating. So is a waitstaff there. I was just talking to a, a waitress who's, you know, she went to theater school and she got a master's in acting in London. And it's like everybody has these stories. And, and I just love sitting and like listening to these crazy tales. You know, like uh, this guy, Lenny Marcus, who's an absolute crusher. He was telling me about how like in the early 90s, it was like, really dead you know and uh it was when you could smoke in the club when you were like bombing you could hear the paper burn on the cigarette you know and it's just so funny they they turn like a thousand people away at night now it's like crazy to imagine that and that's she's just so interesting and she just has like this you know like um you want to be on everyone's good side but you know she has so many stories so to like have her have these moments of sharing them is just like you know, sitting around like a, a campfire and hearing like a great ghost story, you know. Does she give you feedback on your sets now? No. I mean, the the other day she she was very complimentary towards me in terms of getting the room and being funny and good at my job. And so I'm going to hold that, hold that close in your to heart? me for, for a very long time. You know, I, I can get really down a lot. And I, I know a lot of people do, but I, I try to, when good things happen, I try to write them down so that when I get really fucking low, I can look at it and be like, oh, here's proof. You can get there again. What is it like when you sit at the comedian's table now? Do you feel at home there yet? You know, sometimes. You know, the other night I went and nobody was really talking to me. And uh, Who was at the table? It was uh, Bobby Kelly, Michelle Wolf, Ryan Hamilton, Keith Robinson, Mateo Lane. And nobody was talking to me. And I was just like, well, that's just what it is. You know, some nights you walk in, you see a table and you go, well, I'm going to do an about face and leave. You know? <laughs> well, if it's uh, like Seinfeld and Chappelle. And- yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I have no place being there. You're not going to sit at that no, table? No, no. I am not going to try <laughs> to sit happened? there. Has that ever happened? Oh, of course. You know, I know my place. I know who I am. <laughs> like, I know pivot. I'm just a little puppy in this world of big dogs. You know what I mean? So it's a thing of like, I... I'm very self-aware, you know, and there's some people I feel comfortable with and I'm getting more comfortable with, but I go and I sit down, no one's talking. I didn't even notice. And uh, one guy's eating like a chicken parm and I'm like, that looks delicious. And he's like, it's really good. And then Bobby goes, what the fuck? I told everyone not to talk to him. And he's like, well, you're just so nice. I couldn't help it. Wait, who was like, the guy? Who did you say that to? Ryan Hamilton. Oh. He's like the sweetest, kindest guy ever. He's like, why? Oh, I forgot. You know, oh, but it's so fun. Funny. You know, that's like a, pre- like even before I was in at the cellar, Bobby played this fucking prank on me. It was a Christmas party and a, a buddy of mine who's so fucking funny who like has really helped me out a lot Monroe Martin he's a comic from Philly he's so fucking great and uh he brought me to the cellar Christmas party right and and you know being around long enough you know these comics and you become like friends you familiar faces so I'm you know there and I'm seeing people but I'm very nervous because I don't work there and it's a holiday party for like cellar employees comics that work there I'm sitting down eating and um Voss and Bobby like talk to the manager and Liz comes up and she goes, uh, Hey, what's your name? And I go, Ian Fidance. And she goes, yeah, do you, why are you here? Like what? And she goes, do you work at this club? And I go, no, I don't. She goes, well, you you can't be here and you have to leave your food. And I was like, Oh, I'm sorry. And I got up and fucking Bobby and Voss are like giving me the finger. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like I, I mean, I went white, you know what I mean? I was just so scared. And, uh, that was that was fun because I obviously there's like a little thing of like, hey, we kind of like you, you know, we're fucking around with you. If they didn't, that wouldn't happen, you know. So it was like really nice. And, and again, it goes back to that like family community type thing, you know. You didn't write that down in your book of affirmations that Liz told you to get? No, I just kept that in my nightmares for years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe pump the brakes off feeling comfortable for a while. <laughs> well, thank you so much. This was so great. Thank you. 
That's it for this episode of Working. Thanks for listening. Again, I'm your host, Laura Bennett. If you liked the show, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions or comments, you can write to us at working at slate.com. Working is produced by Jessamine Molly. Special thanks to Justin D. Wright for the ad music. Come back next week for another episode on New York's Comedy Cellar. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.